Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Good morning, Frontline. It's great to see you. Uh, Great to be back with you if you're watching online. Great to have you joining in with us as well. Uh, This is the first time I've been here in a couple weeks. Um, A couple weeks ago, I started out this series uh, at New Life Church in Wayland, which is one of our sister churches in the Zero Collective. And then last week, uh, I got the chance to get away uh, for a little bit of time with my wife, Carrie, um, to celebrate our anniversary, which is actually later this month. And so I'm excited to be back with you guys and uh, connecting together at Frontline Church for week three of this series we're calling Raising the Perfect Parent. So here's a question. If you are a parent... Uh, How many of you have ever felt like you've wondered if your kids even listen to anything that you say? Have you ever had that thought as a parent? Like, man, I wonder if my kids, whether they're adult and grown or whether they're little, it's like, do my kids even listen to a a single thing I've ever said? I'm here to tell you, your kids do listen and they do hear what you say. Uh, Much to my mom's horror, one of the first words I ever spoke as a child was a swear word. And the reason she was horrified by that is because I heard the swear word from her. So she's told me the story many times. Basically, uh, the the scene was I was sitting in my high chair. Uh, My mom's in the kitchen. She's trying to get, uh, you know, the the lid off of a jar of grape jelly. And she slips. She drops the jar. The jar breaks into a million pieces at her feet. And she says what you say when you break a jar and it breaks into a million pieces. And she, I'm not going to repeat the swear word, but she said it with such gusto that immediately I began to say that word. It was like my first word I ever spoke. And uh, she was like, no, 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 don't say that word. You know, and, but that was the word. And I just began to say it all the time. So like people would come over to our house and, I, and they would say, oh, look at the cute little baby. And I would say that word and I would just keep saying that word. And people would be like, is he saying what I think he's saying? And my mom would say, yeah, he is. And they'd say, where did he hear that word? And she would say, well, well his father, you know, obviously is where he heard it. And so your kids, they are paying attention. Whether you realize it or not, your kids hear and are listening to every word that you say. In fact, that's kind of the main idea where we're going this morning um, is, is the, this idea that our words and our example are actually the loudest voice our kids will hear. Our words and our example as parents are the loudest voice that our kids will hear. Um, the problem is we, we don't really think this is true a lot of the time. And, and the reason for that is because there are so many voices that are all competing for our kids' attention. They're competing uh, to talk to our kids about what's important, what's not important. Uh, they're giving our kids messages about values, what's right morally, what's wrong. And these uh, voices are talking to our kids through all these different means, so much more than any generation really, I think, before our kids' generation, that are the generation that's growing up right now. I mean, they've got these voices from school and teachers, but they also have them from like social media TikTok, uh, YouTube videos, Netflix, 
And then if, you, if you're a parent, as your kids grow up, you start to realize at a certain point, it becomes their friends. They're, your kids' friends become like one of the loudest voices in their lives. And so if you think about Frontline Church and uh, just our ability to you know, speak into your lives, we are one voice among many, many voices in your kids' lives. Frontline Church is, is one voice among many. And so if you bring your kids to Frontline for one hour a week, so on Sunday morning, if you bring your kids to the block, our children's ministry over here, and, and uh, if, you, if you bring your kids to Now Gen on Sunday night starting at 6 p.m., and uh, that's been going on all summer, we're really excited for that to ramp up again. But if that time... That one hour a week is the only time in your kid's week where any sort of spiritual values are highlighted for them. That's not going to be enough. That's not going to uh, make an impact on your kid's lives. And so here at Frontline, for years, this literally was years ago, we decided we were going to write a vision statement for our student ministry and our children's ministry. It was basically going to be our vision. Here's what we want when it comes to the next generation. If you've been coming to Frontline for a while, you've heard this before. But to be very honest with you, we haven't said it in a while. So I'm guessing not everybody has heard it. But, but our vision, what we want when we think about the next generation and, and what we're called to do at Frontline, the way we've worded it is we've said our goal at Frontline is to partner with parents to grow lifelong faith in kids. That's what we're doing. That's how we see our goal. Our goal is to partner with parents to grow lifelong faith in kids. So not just faith for the season of life that they're in right now, but planting the seeds for a lifelong faith in Jesus. And how are we going to do that? We're going to partner with parents. Now, why did we say that? Why do we say it's so important to partner with parents to grow lifelong in faith in kids? The reason for that is because your voice as parents are the loudest voices that your kids are going to ever hear. If I could pick a metaphor for your role in their lives, this would be it. This megaphone. Your voice is the loudest voice and your example is the loudest example that your kids are going to hear. And what we're going to see today, we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6 and what we're going to see is that God actually ordained your voice to be the primary voice for how our kids develop spiritually. And so... I'm not going to read the scripture through the megaphone because that, that just feels sacrilegious to me for some reason. But this, that's what your voice is. Your voice is the loudest voice. And so in a sense, it has to come from you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6. And let me just set the table a little bit for you if I could. Deuteronomy 6 is one of the most holy passages of scripture in the Old Testament. For God's people, it was one of the most central holy scriptures. It contains the Shema. The Shema was a prayer that the Jewish people would pray every single day. It was central to their faith. So when we read it here in a second, you're, if you've been around a while, if you, we've done messages on the Shema, you're going to recognize that prayer that they would pray every day. It also contains what Jesus referred to as the greatest commandment. Right here in this passage we're going to look at in Deuteronomy 6, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? If you could boil it all down, what's the most important one? It's in here. And then what Jesus says, or I mean, what uh, th this passage does after that is it speaks directly to parents. This holy, sacred, central text for God's people speaks directly to parents. And it could be maybe the most important message you're ever going to hear as a parent. It contains everything we need 
to raise our kids up and to grow them uh, up to know Jesus and to follow him in a Christian home. And so let's look at this together. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4, it says this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. Now, we read that passage and oftentimes, you know, it's, it's such a huge passage. It has so much to say. But a lot of times what we focus on first, or the thing that jumps out to people a lot of times first, is this last part here that talks about uh, these commands. Tie them on your hands, wear them on your forehead, put them on the doorposts of, of your uh, houses and on your gates. And so you should know the Jewish people took that literally. Like God's people actually literally did that. So they had these things that they made called phylacteries. And phylacteries were these little leather boxes that they would literally tie to their uh, wrist. And and Jewish men oftentimes would tie a phylactery to their forehead. There would be like this little leather box right here on their forehead uh, to do exactly what this passage was saying. Because in that little leather box would be like a little rolled up piece of scripture. That's what they would have. And so they would literally fasten it to their forehead. Um, if you go into some Jewish homes still today, many Jewish homes still have this on their doorpost. This is called a mezuzah. Has anybody ever seen one of these, just out of curiosity? In the first service, yeah, okay, there's a, there's a few of you. So if you go into a Jewish home, even today, oftentimes you'll see a mezuzah uh, fastened to the doorpost. And basically it's this little box, it oftentimes has Hebrew writing on it. Usually it has Deuteronomy 6 referenced. Sometimes inside the box is a little rolled up piece of uh, scripture with, and it's usually Deuteronomy 6 that's on that piece of scripture. So they literally did this. They literally put it on their door frames. They literally put it um, on their foreheads. Now, as Christians, we believe that Jesus came and Jesus fulfilled this passage. In fact, we believe Jesus fulfilled the entire Old Testament of the Bible. And so we no longer have to, it's not wrong or something to put a mezuzah on your house, but uh, we don't have to do that today because Jesus fulfilled that. In fact, what it says in Revelation 22 is it says that as Christians, when we enter the eternal kingdom, what it says is that we're going to see Jesus, we're going to see Christ face to face, and that his name will be written on our foreheads. That's what it says. And so the point of this passage that we just read, the point is not to make a phylactery or make a mezuzah, or or if I could bring it into our world today, the point is not to take a Bible verse and embroider it on a pillow and put it on your couch and say, Now we have a Christian home. That's what we do a lot of times with this passage. We get like the picture frame and we put the Bible verse and we put it over the mantle and we say, a Christian home has just been created. And and here's the thing, like it's okay if you have a throw pillow like that and you embroidered a Bible verse on it, it's okay. I won't make fun of you if you invite me over to your house. That's not the point. There's nothing wrong with having that stuff, but that misses the the point of the passage. What What this passage is trying to say is that it is our job as parents, to impart spiritual values to our kids. And, and not just to put a verse on a, on a pillow and stick it there and call it good, but it's supposed to be a part of the culture. It's supposed to be a part of the nature of our home, the values of our home. Everything that we do uh, 
those things are meant to be imparted to our kids at home as parents. That's what this passage is trying to say. But, I mean, let's face it. (laughs) Times change, right? This isn't ancient Israel anymore. This is modern day America. And we don't do things like that anymore in our culture, in our world. Today, the way we do everything in our lives is we outsource things, right? We delegate things to others. We have specialists who specialize in special things, right, that we need to get done. And so, I mean, in every area of our lives, this is true. I mean, think about it. If your car breaks down, unless you're a mechanic yourself, you don't try to fix it at home. You take it to a mechanic. That's what you do. You outsource it. Uh, You know, if your computer breaks down, you don't try to fix it. You take it to somebody to have it fixed. If your clothes need repair or need to get clean, you take them to the dry cleaners, right? If you have nice clothes, you take them to the dry cleaners and, and they fix it and they give them back to you. And that's all fine and good. That's the way we do things today in our world. The problem is that that same philosophy has kind of bled into our parenting. And that's the way we view our parenting as well. And so the, the name for this, the message we're talking about today, that we call these dry cleaner parents. That's, that's the, literally the term we've kind of even used um, kind of for ourselves as we've thought about this message. Oftentimes we become dry cleaner parents. What are, what's a dry cleaner parent? A dry cleaner parent is a parent who maybe feels ill-equipped to impart spiritual values to their kids. And so what they do is they seek to drop their kids off at the counselor or at the, with the youth pastor or with um, you know, the teacher or whatever it is to basically clean them up just like a dry cleaner would clean up your clothes and fix them and then return them back to you fixed. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to a counselor or go, going to a teacher. But again, the goal here is to partner with a teacher, partner with a counselor, partner with a youth pastor. God never made it something where we're supposed to just drop our kids off and somebody else will fix them and impart spiritual value to them and bring them back to us. Now, now why this is so hard and why it goes against the grain of everything we know as parents is because we don't do that with anything else. Or, I mean, we, we do do this with everything else. If you think about it, as parents, uh, we outsource everything. If your kid is sick, you take them to a, a doctor. Yes, it's not a trick question, I promise you. Yeah, in fact, if your kid gets sick and you don't take them to the doctor and they get sicker and sicker, that's called being a bad parent. If your kid wants to get involved in a sport, you take them to a coach and you say, hey, I want my kid to be involved on this team. And that's what you do with them. If your kid is struggling with grades, you take them to a tutor and have a tutor. I I checked out about fourth grade math. I was unable to help my kids anymore. I don't know what happened, how how math got so much harder from the time I was a kid. My kids got to about fourth grade. I'm like, I don't understand this math. Go go ask your mother or go ask a tutor. I mean, I would, that's what we seek to do. And that's called being a good parent. When your kid is struggling, you seek, that's called being a good parent, except in this area when it comes to imparting spiritual values to our kids, that's not how God ordained it. God ordained our kids to learn spiritual values from us at home. It's something we can't outsource. It's something we can't pass off to the dry cleaner, to the specialist. It's something that we have to do. Simply put, I mean, if if we don't, you know, disciple our kids, Satan is happy to do it for us. 
The world is happy to do it for us. It's our job to disciple our kids, and the way that happens is at home. Now, um, let me just say this. That was a lot of uh, information. What's happening for some of you in this room or, or watching online right now is you're saying, are you kidding me, Brian? That, what, what a lot of pressure to put, right? I mean, what if I don't feel equipped as a parent to raise my kids and to, to impart faith in them? Maybe you grew up in a home where that wasn't imparted to you at home. Maybe some of you right now are sitting there going, you know, what, Brian, what if I mess up my kids? What if I try to do this and I try to impart spiritual values to them and I actually end up turning them away from God? What if I end up failing and then they hate God because of me? Or maybe some of you, maybe you're at a stage of life where your kids are growing. Maybe you're, you have an adult 35-year-old son who's just far from God and you would say, you know what, I did this. I did this. I, I tried to disciple my kids at home. I tried to pour into them, and they're not following Jesus. What about that? So he, here's what I want you to hear, and this is so important for where we're going today. I, just, I really want to make sure we get this clear. Go ahead to that next one. I want you to hear, we are not shooting for perfection. When we look at this passage of Scripture, it's not talking about being perfect. We're not shooting for perfection. We are shooting for engagement. We're shooting for engagement. This passage does not talk to us about how to be perfect. I hope you've realized by week three of this series, Raising the Perfect Parent, that that title is meant to be tongue-in-cheek. I hope you've figured that out by now. Because the truth is, there is no such thing as a perfect parent, except for our Heavenly Father. He's the only one who's perfect. And so really, the way parenting works is God uses our kids to grow us up. That's really more the way parenting works. We're all in process. We're all growing. So this passage isn't saying you have to be perfect. In other words, we're not in control of the outcomes, but we are in control of our level of engagement. We can control that. That's a choice that we make. We're not shooting for perfection. I can't say it, talk all of a sudden. We're not shooting for perfection. We can't control outcomes. We're shooting for engagement, and that is something we can control. That's a choice we make, is whether or not we'll be engaged with our kids spiritually. Now, why do I say that? I say that because a lot of us in our world today, but I would also say just a lot of us even in the church, we're not engaging with our kids spiritually at all. And this last year, year and a half has really knocked us back when it comes to spiritual engagement. But the good news this morning is that this passage of scripture in Deuteronomy 6 equips us with everything we need to engage with our kids spiritually. Not to be perfect, but it tells us exactly how to engage with our kids spiritually. And so what we're going to look at here is we're going to look at three areas of engagement that we find here in Deuteronomy 6. And you might want to write this down. If you're a parent or if you're hoping to be a parent someday, you might want to write these, these three areas of engagement down. If you... Uh, are your kids are grown and they're out of the house and you think your parenting days are done, but they're really not, you might want to write this down as well. These are three areas of engagement that God calls us to as parents in Deuteronomy 6. Um, so we'll walk through each one of these. The first one is your example. In verse 6, it says, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words. Commit yourself. It's talking about you personally as a parent. It's, it's written to parents. It says, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to the Lord. The next, it says, your consistency. 
Verse seven, it says, repeat these things again and again and again and again and again. And when you think you've said it too many times and you repeated it so many times, repeat it again and again and again. It's like, it's supposed to just be the constant thing, the thing you can just count on. It's always there in your home. It's just part of the, the culture and the fabric of our home. And then the third area, it talks about your words. Verse seven says, talk about these things when you're lying down, when you're getting up, when you're walking along the road, uh, when you're driving the minivan on the way to soccer practice. <laughs> These are the three areas it talks about. So if you could just take a minute and look at those three areas, three areas of engagement, what it means to be spiritually engaged with our kids as parents. I, want you, I just want you to look at those. Which one of those three does God want to put his finger on for you this, today? Which one of those three does the Holy Spirit want to just put his finger on in your life? Is it your example? Is, is it just kind of the way you're personally living out your faith? Is it your consistency? Is it a situation where, you know, there's certain times, certain holidays where, hey, God is important in our family, but when this sports season starts, eh, that's not something that matters. Maybe when the sports season is over, it'll matter again. Is, is it your words what it actually means to talk about Jesus, what it means to share your own story and your testimony. Which one of those three does God want to highlight for you? Here's what I've learned. Uh, is I've learned that all three of these things have to be working together in our homes for our kids to be discipled. All three have to be there and have to be working together. Again, you're not going to be perfect in your example. You're not going to be perfectly consistent. The goal is not perfection, but those three things have to be in place for discipleship to happen. In other words, if, you're ex if you have a great example and you're very consistent with your example, but let's say like you never talk about faith at home, what happens is your kids grow up believing that that's a subject that it's not okay to talk about. They won't come to you with their questions. They won't, they won't feel like it's safe to have doubts and talk with you about that. And they'll just feel like that's just an undiscussable subject and they won't develop in their own faith. They'll look at you and admire you for your example and your consistency, but it won't, it won't translate to them. If your example is there and your words are there. If you really, you know, are, are talking about it and you're living it in your home, but it's, you're inconsistent with it. One day it's there, the next day it's not. Certain times of the year it matters, certain other times of the year it doesn't matter. Your kids are not going to grow up and think it matters. They, it wasn't something that mattered enough. And then if your words are there and your consistency is there, if you're talking about it all the time and you're doing that consistently, but your kids, when they look at your example, when they look at the way you're living your life, if they say, the words and the talk and the walk don't match up, then your kids will say, well, my parents are just hypocrites and this isn't really for me. It's not real. And so all three of these things have to come together in our homes for our kids to be discipled. And I think for every single one of us, I know for me, uh, honestly, my example is the one that God's been putting his finger on even just recently in my own life. Go ahead to that next slide, if you will. This is my family. Um, so this is my wife, Carrie, and then this is my oldest son, Alan. Uh, this is my son, Andrew, who just graduated from high school. This is uh, our 15-year-old, Aaron, and this is our 13-year-old, John. So we're, we're in a, a season and a time of parenting um, that, that has changed to where our boys are all teenagers and a couple of them are moving out of the house and, uh, you know, kind of moving on and stuff. And here's what I would tell you as I stand before you today. Our parenting journey, and I want you to know this has not been perfect. It's been far from perfect. 
And those three things I just put on the screen a minute ago, we've struggled in our home. We have not been perfect. There are things I wish I could take back that I said with my words. There are times where I feel like my example, my boys would come to church and they would hear me preach a sermon, but they would watch the way I was living at home and they would call me out on it. None of us are perfect with this. But the main thing I'm focused on at this point in our lives, at this point in our parenting journey, is what does it mean to continue to engage with our boys spiritually? That doesn't stop being important as they get older. We had a moment with our oldest son, Alan, that shaped, it was when he was still an infant, uh, it was a major turning point that shaped the kind of parent God was calling me to be early on in, in our uh, journey together. Uh, my son, Alan, when he was born, our first baby, our first child, uh, much to our surprise, nobody knew it was coming, but when he was born, uh, he had a deformity of his left hand. Didn't show up on any of the scans, any of the things. And so Alan, to this day, if you meet him, he has a, a fully developed pinky finger and then uh, a partially developed thumb, but then he really has no bones or fingers right here in the middle of his hand, and these three fingers are missing. So his hand looks kind of like this, and it's smaller, and uh, he has some ability to grasp with his uh, pinky and his thumb, but uh, that's, that's his hand, his left hand. So when he was born, there was this kind of scuffle in the delivery room, and they're, they're you know, doing this thing where they suddenly realized this child, and they were surprised by it. And so it was this moment of shock for Carrie and I, where the doctor came over immediately and began to just say, you know, your, your son's going to be different. And there's going to be some things, you know, that he may struggle to do. I remember the doctor saying that, you know, we're going to set you up with a hand specialist. So when Alan was two months old, uh, we had just moved here to Grand Rapids and we had this date on the calendar we, to meet with a hand specialist, somebody who could, who could do something about this, a doctor who could do this. And so I remember that meeting, it, it, this, it was a pivotal moment for us as parents because we're brand new parents. We've got this two-month-old, beautiful little baby boy and he's got this deformity of his left hand. And so I had that date on the calendar when we were going to meet with that doctor, that hand specialist circle because I had a question I wanted to ask him. It was this burning question. I couldn't wait to ask him. And so we get into uh, the room and the doctor is in the room and the poor guy, I mean, before he could, he had just kind of started looking at Alan and he made the mistake. He said, do you guys have any questions for me? And I was like, yeah, I have a question. And this was the question I was dying to ask. This was the burning question for two months that I couldn't get out of my head and I wanted to ask this guy. I, this was it. I said, doctor, can you do something to make him look and feel more normal? That was my question. What can you do, surgically or whatever, what can you do to make him look and feel more normal? I think back on that right now, like I, I wasn't asking God, how have you made him unique? I wasn't asking that. God, how have you made him different? How do you want to use this difference in his life for your glory? I wasn't asking that. I wasn't asking any of those questions. The thing I was most concerned about, and I think as parents, this is just how we are, I was thinking about how do, how do we make him more normal? How do we make him kind of streamline and fit in with everybody else? I don't want him to have this burden, you know, that he's carrying through his life. And I'll never forget the doctor's answer. The God, God used it in my life in a powerful way. It was a pivotal moment. I just remember he looked at me. He literally said, normal? He said, your son will take his cues from you. He, he will believe he's normal based on the way that you treat him as his parent. He'll even believe that he's special based on how you treat him. 
I'll never forget, he just said, if you don't put a limit on him, if you don't tell him otherwise, he'll figure out a way to do whatever it is he wants to do in life. He'll reach as high as you let him reach. You know know what he was trying to say to me? He, He was trying to say, your voice is the loudest voice your child will hear. That's what he was trying to say to me. And you know what? He was 100% correct. There's nothing that Alan hasn't been able to do in his life. Uh, he um, even thinks, like, when he was a teenager, he wanted to learn how to play guitar. I play guitar, and he wanted me to teach him, and I was nervous, like, oh, no, because he's right-handed. And you know what he did? He actually taught himself. He's a right-handed person who taught himself how to play the guitar left-handed. I don't know anybody else who's done that. He plays piano. He, he's figured out he's a really good piano player. He's figured out how to do that with his left hand. So very young, from the time he was very little, you could ask any one of my boys, when Al, from the time our boys were little, we always called Alan's hand his special hand. And we referred to it, we said, God made you this way. He gave you this special hand because you're special. And that's what we imparted to him. It's, we didn't call it your abnormal hand, your weird hand, your different hand. We called it his special hand. And we wanted to make sure he understood that. Now, now, why did we do that? The reason why we did that, the whole reason I'm telling you this, is because <laughs> the reality is Alan is going to face things in his life that are much, much more difficult than not having a typical hand like everybody else. If he lives long enough, there's things I already know and my wife already knows that he's going to face in his life, things that he's going to deal with, your kids too, that are going to be way harder than just not having a hand that's like everybody else's. In those moments, when Alan deals with those trials, those tribulations, I don't want him to be normal. I don't want him to deal with those things like a normal person would. I want him to be unique. I want him to be special. I want him to have a hope inside of him that is absolutely anything but normal, that when he turns and he lives out of that hope that is found only in the person of Christ, that he responds in a way to those things that is unique and that is special as the way God has ordained him to be. See, this is how messed up we are as parents, myself included. I'm including myself in this. We think that the greatest tragedy that could possibly ever happen to our kids is that they would grow up and not be able to accomplish all their dreams. You know, for college or for, you know, marriage or for job and career and all that. That's not the greatest tragedy that could happen to our kids. The greatest tragedy that could happen to our kids is not that they would grow up and not accomplish their dreams. The greatest tragedy that could possibly ever happen to our kids is that they'd grow up and they do accomplish all their dreams and all their dreams do come true. And when it happens, they realize how empty they still are inside because they don't have the most important thing, which is an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ at the center of their life. That's a tragedy. See, I don't worry about my kids if they have that. I don't worry about my son, Alan, and his hand and how that's going to affect him if he has that abiding relationship with Jesus at the center of his life, he'll be able to handle anything. He'll be fine. I don't worry about our son who has autism if he has Jesus. If he has Jesus, he has everything. If he doesn't, if they don't, they have nothing. That's how important this is. Jesus said it way better. I'm I'm going on and on. Jesus said it so much better than me. In Mark 8, 36, he just said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And if we're honest, 
If I'm honest about some of my mistakes, sometimes our parenting is more aimed at this top sentence right here than it is at what we should be worried about in the bottom part of that sentence. We're, we're more concerned with discipling our kids to gain the whole world instead of discipling our kids into the thing that matters the most. So parents, engage with your kids spiritually. Have you ever felt, have you ever just had this feeling like you're just pressing against the forces of darkness in our world when it comes to your kid and the influences in your home? Good. That means you're engaging spiritually with your kids. This stuff is supposed to be hard. In fact, I would tell you raising kids has been the hardest thing I've ever done with my life. Way harder than anything else, way harder than anything I've dealt with even as your pastor and, and pastoring this church. Have you ever had the experience as parents where like, you know, it's Sunday morning and you're just exhausted from your week and your work week and your kids are complaining and they don't want to get up and they don't want to go to church and they'd rather just sleep in. But you say, no, this is what we're about. This is what our family values. This is what it, it means. And so you get your kids up and you bring them to the church and it's hard and it exhausts you even more. Yeah, that's because you're engaging with your kids spiritually. This stuff is hard. It's supposed to be. Have you ever had the experience where your kid is just angry at you? And it breaks your heart because you don't want them to be angry at you, but they're angry because you said no to something that you know is, is something that if you had said yes to it, if you had allowed it into their life, it's just going to take them down this path of, of moral corruption. It's not going to help them develop into the person that Christ has called us to be. So you said no, and they're angry at you, and you're dealing with that. Yes. That means you're engaging with your kids spiritually. Have you ever had the experience where you can, your kid just walks in the room and you can just tell something's wrong? They don't say a word to you about it. They don't even want to talk to you, but you can just tell something's not right here. And so you just begin to pray and just begin to say, God, help me. Show me what to say. Show, open a door here. You just begin to pray for your kid. Yeah. What that means is you're engaging with your kids spiritually. You can do this. The goal is not perfection. The goal is not to control the outcomes. The goal is to engage spiritually because that's what God wants to do. He wants to use us. Your voice is the loudest voice. Don't waste it. And so one more time, we'll just, I want to close by just putting these three up here. You think about your life right now. Maybe for some of you, you've got a, a prodigal Maybe your child is a grown adult and they've walked far away from God and you think it's already over and it's already done. It's not over. We've seen prodigals come home. We've seen God reconcile. Your job is not to control it. Your job is not to beat yourself up or for some reason, your job is just to engage. Which one of these three? Maybe your kids are little. Maybe, maybe you haven't even had kids and you're trying to decide what kind of, you know, values you want to really have right now, even before you have kids. These are three areas to get in the habit of right now. Which one of these three does God want to put his finger on? Is it your example? Is it your consistency? Or is it your words? Just allow the Holy Spirit to just do some work with you right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, uh, I know this is a challenging 
uh, message. This passage of scripture is extremely challenging. And God, um, we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. And so, uh, God, it just blows me away that you would use us as flawed vessels to impart the greatest truth in the world, uh, the message of grace, the message that, that you love us unconditionally. But in some sense, God, I just pray that all of our brokenness, all of our flaws, all of our failed attempts at parents, uh, the thing I'm just praying for right now, God, is that you would use all those things to point our kids to the one who isn't flawed, to the one who doesn't make mistakes, to the one who doesn't fall short, to the one that we can all put our hope in. So my prayer is, God, that each of us would point to you, Jesus, in our lives. You're the truest thing we have. You're the greatest hope that we have. So God, I just pray right now, if it's maybe for some of us right now, we need to just say, uh, God, would you help us with our example? Maybe we just need to confess to our families and just say, I haven't been living up to this and I, I'm, I'm gonna do my best to, to, to change. Maybe it's our consistency. Maybe COVID has knocked us off our game a little bit and we're saying, God, we need to get back to it. We need to, we need to be faithful Maybe it's uh, with our words, God. For some of us as parents, maybe we're terrified to talk about faith at home because we don't, we don't even know how, what that means to do that and, and that wasn't done for us. You show us how to share our testimony with our kids. Show us how to talk about our faith. Show us how to talk about our mistakes and our, our uh, ways that we've fallen short. But God, would you use those things for your glory and to bring our kids closer and closer to you? That's what we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said,